0: Tonight's reading is Leviticus, chapter 26, and that can be uh, found on page 130 in the Blue Church Bibles. That's page 130, Leviticus, chapter 26. Do not make idols or set up an image or a sacred stone for yourselves, and do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. Observe my Sabbaths and have reverence for my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest and the grape harvest will continue until planting and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. I will grant peace in the land and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. I will remove wild beasts from the land and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred And a hundred of you will chase 10,000, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people." I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. But if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands, and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring on you sudden terror "'wasting diseases, and fever that will destroy your sight "'and sap your strength. "'You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. "'I will set my face against you "'so that you will be defeated by your enemies. "'Those who hate you will rule over you, "'and you will flee even when no one is pursuing you. "'If after all this you will not listen to me, "'I will punish you for your sins seven times over.' I will break down your stubborn pride and make the sky above you like iron and the ground beneath you like bronze. Your strength will be spent in vain because your soil will not yield its crops, nor will the trees of your land yield their fruit. If you remain hostile towards me and refuse to listen to me, I will multiply your afflictions seven times over as your sins deserve. I will send wild animals against you, and they will rob you of your children, destroy your cattle, and make you so few in number that your roads will be deserted. If in spite of these things you do not accept my correction, but continue to be hostile towards me, I myself will be hostile towards you and will afflict you for your sins seven times over, and I will bring the sword on you to avenge the breaking of the covenant. When you withdraw into your cities, I will send a plague among you, and you will be given into enemy hands. When I cut off your supply of bread, ten women will be able to bake your bread in one oven, and they will dole out the bread by weight. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied. If, in spite of this, you still do not listen to me, but continue to be hostile towards me, then in my anger I will be hostile towards you. And I myself will punish you for your sins seven times over. You will eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and pile your dead bodies on the lifeless forms of your idols, and I will abhor you. I will turn your cities into ruins and lay waste your sanctuaries, and I will take no delight in the pleasing aroma of your offerings. I myself will lay waste the land. So that your enemies who live there will be appalled. I will scatter you among the nations and will draw out my sword and pursue you. Your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruins. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the time that it lies desolate and you are in the country of your enemies. Then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths all the time that it lies desolate. The land will have the rest it did not have during the Sabbaths you lived in it. As for those of you who are left, I will make their hearts so fearful in the lands of their enemies that the sound of a wind-blown leaf will put them to flight. They will run as though fleeing from the sword, and they will fall, even though no one is pursuing them. They will stumble over one another as though fleeing from the sword, even though no one is pursuing them. So you will not be able to stand before your enemies. You will perish among the nations. The land of your enemies will devour you. Those of you who are left will waste away in the lands of their enemies because of their sins. Also because of their ancestors' sins they will waste away. But if they will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness and their hostility towards me, which made me hostile towards them, so that I sent them into the land of their enemies. Then, when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pay for their sin, I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. For the land will be deserted by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will pay for their sins because they rejected my laws and abhorred my decrees. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them or abhor them so as to to destroy them completely, breaking my covenant with them. I am the Lord their God. But for their sake I will remember the covenant with their ancestors, whom I brought out of Egypt in the sight of the nations to be their God. I am the Lord. These are the decrees, the laws and the regulations that the Lord established at Mount Sinai between himself and the Israelites through Moses.
1: Thank you, Nicola. Good evening, everybody. After that reading, particularly the middle section, I think some of us will be feeling a bit shocked and uh, maybe horrified even. And I'm not going to try and diminish the seriousness, the dread of the punishments that we read in that middle section. I'll explain them, but I won't diminish them. However, it is worth pointing out the two main reasons why we find readings like this difficult. We don't realize how dreadful our sin is, and we don't realize how holy our God is either. We think of our sin like a, a small mark, a tiny blemish, barely visible stain, but actually it's a revolting, stinking pile of atrocity and hostility towards God. We think of God as sort of holy, a kind of Father Christmas-like figure who um, will let bad behavior slide as long as our good behavior outweighs it. But in reality, our holy God is a consuming fire who will completely burn up anything that isn't pure gold, He's a brilliantly shining light that chases away even the faintest shadow of darkness. Our sin is far more dreadful than we realize. Our God is far more holy than we realize. So that leaves us with a problem. It leaves us with a problem. What will happen when we are in the presence of the holy God? There is an appointment in all of our diaries. Even now, the clock is ticking down. There is a moment coming where we will leave this life and be thrust into eternity without a seatbelt. Living with God is what we were made for. He is the source of all our life, our light, our love. He is the the unspoken longing behind every other desire but as I said, our sin is far more dreadful than we realize. Our God is far more holy than we realize. So what will happen when we, the unholy, meet him, the holy God? What will happen when we're in the presence of the holy God? The book of Leviticus is all about this holiness problem. Israel had built a tent called the tabernacle, and all the people would pitch their own tents around it, this tabernacle would be where God would dwell. Just before Leviticus in um, Exodus, it finished with Moses not being able to go into the tabernacle because the glory of the Lord filled it. And in the very first verse of Leviticus, the Lord speaks to Moses from the tabernacle. Moses, Moses couldn't go in. Unholy people could not live with the holy God. However, by the end of Leviticus, the situation is different. When the next book starts, Numbers, in verse 1, we read this, the Lord spoke to Moses in the tabernacle, in the tent of meeting, in. Before Moses couldn't get in, then Leviticus happens, now he can go in. Leviticus makes a way for unholy people to be able to live with the holy God. Now, in Leviticus, the way for unholy people to live with the holy God is through rituals, priests, and purity laws. The whole book can be arranged into those three categories. Rituals, priests, purity laws. They make it possible for unholy people to live with the holy God. And now we get to the end of Leviticus, chapter 26. Here the the sort of the how has already been answered. As they travel from Mount Sinai to the promised land, Israel are going to have the holy God living among them. As they get up, as they play with their kids, as they eat their food, as they lay down at night, the presence of almighty God is going to be just a few tents down from theirs. Astonishing here at the end of Leviticus, we find out what that's going to be like. Now that it's been made possible, what's it going to be like? What will happen now that they're in the presence of the Holy God? That's what what Leviticus 26 is all about. And these verses describe what it's like to be in the presence of the Holy God in three different situations. If we obey If we refuse to listen and if we confess. Let's start with the first. We'll put it up on the screen. What will happen when we're in the presence of the Holy God if we obey? In verse three, you can look down with me if you like. God says, If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will. God is about to list what he will do for Israel if they obey him. As long as they follow his decrees, those rituals, the priests, and the purity laws, living in God's presence, just wait for that to go overhead, living in God's presence is going to be wonderful. Um, Just look at the blessings that come in verses 4 to verse 13. The first blessing is food. Um, That's a blessing we can all get on board with, isn't it? What's your favorite meal? A couple of weeks ago I went home to my parents for the weekends and had for the first time in what seems like ages one of their roast dinners. Roast chicken, roast potatoes, gravy and the rest. It's just the taste of comfort. It's wonderful. The first blessing for obedience is food. Verse 4 says the rain will come when it's meant to, not when you've got a picnic planned, but when the crops need it. And verse 5 continues with an outrageous harvest. The grain harvest was in March, and that's going to be so great that they'll still be threshing it in July when uh, the grape harvest starts. And there are going to be so many grapes in July that they're still going to be picking them off the vine in October. Uh, when it's time to plant again. And verse 5 also has a really good promise that you can print off and put on your fridge, you will eat all the food you want. That would be a great thing to have on our fridge, wouldn't it? The first blessing is food, and the second blessing is peace. There's something so wonderful about putting your head down on a pillow without any worries on your mind. No regrets about the day that has passed. No fears about the day that will come. You lie down in perfect peace. And verse 5 ended with living in safety. Verse 6 continues that theme with lying down without any fear. God says, I will remove wild beasts from the land. And the sword will not pass through your country no fear of lions that might attack, no fear of invaders that might destroy. Actually, the opposite will happen. Just five Israelites will chase away a hundred enemies. Just a hundred Israelites will chase away 10,000 enemies. The second blessing is peace. And the final blessing is presence. God says, I will look on you with favour. They will have the continuous, gracious smile of their Father. And God says, I will put my dwelling place among you. That probably refers to the temple, an even more permanent dwelling place for God's presence than the tabernacle. And God wonderfully promises in verse 12, I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. This is remarkable intimacy. Remarkable intimacy. The Lord God himself will not be a distant presence, shut behind a locked door. Rather, in some mysterious, merciful way, the presence of God will go out from the tabernacle and walk alongside ordinary people living their ordinary lives. The people will know, not just as a fact, but as an experience, my saviour God is with me. The one who rescued us from Egypt is walking alongside me. Isn't that what you long for? More than food, more than peace. We long for the blessing of God himself. We want his presence not only as a fact but as an experience. Our saviour, our rescuer walking with us. Making the most ordinary of moments sacred as we become aware of his nearness. Those are the blessings that God promises to Israel if they obey the rituals, the, uh, the priests, and the purity laws. And um, if we look through the story of Israel, the nation did enjoy these in part. Just a few decades on, Israel entered the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land with vines heavily laden with grapes flowing with wine, I'm not sure if they had roast potatoes. I think they were still in South America at that point, but the food would have been pretty great. And they enjoyed times of complete peace. In Judges, 300 Israelites defeated the army of Midian, which was too too numerous even to count. Under the reigns of King David and Solomon, the land was utterly without threat. Their enemies were completely chased away. And of course, they enjoyed the presence of God, first in that tabernacle and later in the temple as God made his dwelling with his people. As long as Israel obeyed, the presence of the holy God would mean blessing, food, peace, and God himself. The same, of course, is true for us. That appointment in your diary is fast approaching. The top, the, the click. I can't speak. The clock is ticking down. You will leave this life and be launched into eternity. You will enter the presence of the Holy God. And if you've obeyed, that will be a wonderful thing—a wonderful thing. Food, peace, God Himself if you have obeyed. And that's a pretty big if. So let's consider the alternative. We'll put it up on the screen. What will happen in the presence of the holy God if we don't listen? In verse 14, God says, but if you will not listen to me and carry out all these commands and if you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. The Lord is about to list the terrible consequences of ignoring those rituals, priests, and purity laws he set out for Israel in this book. And if they fail to listen, living in the presence of the holy God is going to be Terrible. Terrible. The first thing I want us to notice is the repeated refusal to listen. Verse 14, verse 18, verse 21, verse 23, and verse 27. The problem is refusing to listen to the Lord. And across those verses, the refusal intensifies So if you have a look at verse 14, the initial scenario is listening incompletely. The Israelites don't listen well enough to carry out all the commands. They might well, in this scenario, carry out some of them, but not all. Then in verse 18, it's failing to listen at all, without any caveat, Then in verse 21, it's a hostile refusal to listen. At this point, hatred is shutting their ears. Then in verses 23 and 27, it's a settled, resolved, continuing hostility. No, I will not listen. No, I will never listen. That's the first thing I want us to notice, the repeated refusal to listen. The second thing I want us to notice is God's repeated attempts to correct his people. Now, it's not, of course, the case that if Israel were to fail to listen once, God would jump immediately down to verse 33. Immediate exile and the first case of not listening, scattering the people among the nations. Rather, he's going to give five chances for them to listen to him. If they refuse to listen, he will send consequences to bring them back. And then if they refuse to listen again there will be worse consequences, again, to bring them back. Each time the Israelites refuse to listen, God will attempt to correct them. Each time, the consequences will get worse. And over a period of a thousand years, this is exactly what happened in the history of Israel. God warned them here in Leviticus what would happen. If they refused to listen to the rituals, priests, and purity laws that made living with the Holy God possible, this is what God warned would happen. And yet even with this warning, even with repeated times of correction over a really long period of time, these events still happened exactly as they are described. Um, Let's look at those kind of five stages The first consequence in verse 16 to 17 is illness and defeat. That's God's first attempt to bring them back. The second consequence in verse 18 to 20 is drought and famine. That's what the iron sky and bronze earth refer to. Iron sky, um, a pictorial way of describing a sky that is definitely not going to rain. And that lack of rain will result in ground that is so hard that it's like bronze. And can you imagine trying to plant, seed, and feed cattle on bronze earth? Um, By the way, I will punish you for your sins seven times over. Um, Does that sound a little like uh, a thief who deserves a sentence of 10 years being given 70 years? That would be unfair. And that's not what God is saying. Rather, that repeated phrase means, as your sin is increasing, maybe by seven times, so your punishment will also increase, maybe by seven times as well. The third consequence is in verse 21 and 22. At this point, refusal to listen has turned to hostility, so God will send wild animals, and these wild animals will claim the lives of people's livestock and even their children. Now, it's stunning to think that Israel would refuse to listen to that. But the fourth consequence comes. Uh, The fourth consequence is in verse 23 to 26. At this point, God will respond to their hostility by being hostile towards them in return. He will send war that results in plague And famine. And surely now Israel will recognize how dangerous it is to ignore and refuse to listen in the presence of the Holy God. Surely now they will listen, but as the rest of the Bible shows, a thousand years later, they did indeed ignore all these repeated warnings. God did indeed send a war that resulted in exile. Just as he promised in verse 33, I will scatter you among the nations. And those sieges of Jerusalem, uh, whether that was at the hand of Assyria or the hand of Babylon, were so terrible that they even resulted in cannibalism. Verse 29 is a horrendous warning of what will happen if they don't listen those who weren't exiled uh, weren't exiled dwindled and faded until God's people were almost totally gone despite all these warnings they still would fail to listen so for israel to be in the presence of the holy god was terrible and i'll repeat what i said earlier we don't realize how dreadful our sin is and we don't realize how holy our God is. Our sin is far more dreadful than we realize. Our God is far more holy than we realize. That appointment in your diary is fast approaching. The clock is ticking down. You will leave this life and be launched into eternity. You will enter the presence of the holy God. And if you have refused to listen, that will be a terrible thing. The consequences will be dreadful. You too will be exiled. You too will be sent out from God's presence. You will be cut off from the source of love and light and love. Leaving only disconnection and darkness and death. When we read of God's judgment, there's a part of us, isn't there, that that wants to say that's too unpleasant. I refuse to believe that. And um, you are, of course, free to construct your own view of God, if that's what you want to do. But please do so with your eyes open, realizing that's what you're doing. You may construct a God based on your likes and your dislikes, but be careful because are you not in danger of doing exactly what Israel did, refusing to listen to who God says he is? in favor of a God of your preferences. But there is a hopeful note to finish this chapter. We'll put it up on the screen. What will happen when we're in the presence of God if we confess? In verse 40, God says, but if they will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness and their hostility towards me, dot, dot, dot. Even after a millennium of rejection and hostility, the Lord still promises to hold out hope. If they humbly confess, what will God do? Verse 42 I will remember my covenant with Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. And by this point, Israel have completely packed in their side of the bargain God made with Moses. All the rituals, priests, and purity laws are completely out of the window. They just haven't worked. But God's promises will remain. Though his people have turned their backs on the relationship, the Lord is still committed to his promise to Abraham to give them a family, a land, a blessing. And I think the prayer we've been thinking about how the history of Israel um, is reflected in this chapter, and looking forward, I think the prayer of Daniel perfectly captures um, what is being described here. Verse 40, if they will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors. Why not let's turn to page 896, um, which is Daniel chapter 9. And I'll start reading from verse 11. This is um, a young man who, or not so young man by this point, uh, who was exiled in Babylon. And he prayed this. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us. Because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, For the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. It's just such a model of confession, isn't it? And so prophetic in the way that it Uh, Leviticus is so prophetic in the way that it points in that direction. That appointment in your diary is fast approaching. The clock is ticking down. You will leave this life and be thrust into eternity. You will enter the presence of the Holy God. But if you confess your sins today, you will not be turned away. You will be welcomed home because Jesus is a better way, a far better way than rituals, priests, and purity laws. The history of Israel shows that it was impossible for unholy people to obey those laws, but Jesus is a better way for all who will confess their sin. In the presence of the holy gods, those who confess will be blessed, food, peace, and intimate relationship with God himself, because Jesus obeyed when you could not in the presence of the Holy God, you will not face the terror of exile. You will never be cut off from the source of love, light, and life. You will never face disconnection, darkness, and death because Jesus already faced it for you on the cross. Remember how horrifying reading those verses was? Remember how how terrible all those judgments seemed? Jesus faced each one of them. What will happen to you in the presence of the Holy God? I wonder if you fear that day. I wonder if it seems a little bit closer than it was a few years ago. Confess your sin, and he will not reject you. The Prussian King Frederick the Great was once touring a Berlin prison. The prisoners fell on their knees before him to proclaim their innocence, except for one man who remained silent. Frederick called to him, why are you here? Armed robbery, your majesty, was the reply. And are you guilty? Yes, indeed, your majesty. I deserve my punishment. Frederick then summoned the jailer and ordered him, release this guilty wretch at once. I will not have him kept in this prison where he will corrupt all the fine innocent people who occupy it. It's a little bit amusing, but it it makes a good point. Why labor under the illusion of our own innocence? Far better to confess and be assured of God's blessing through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Let's pray. Holy God, holy, holy, holy God, we are so unworthy of standing before you, of even speaking to you now in prayer. We know our sins, uh, you know them even better, and we confess them before you. Thank you so much that we don't have to rely on rituals, priests, and purity laws to be welcome with you. Thank you so much for Jesus, who through his death has made a way for us to be welcomed and accepted and blessed. Please help us to keep confessing. Please help us to keep looking to that day where we will be in your presence forever. And may we do so with hope and expectation because of Jesus. Amen. The band are going to come up to the front. And then we will sing, come thou fount of every blessing. We'll stand when the musicians are ready.